You know, friends, I believe in a God who heals. A God who heals body, mind, spirit. And, and I don't mean that he used to heal a long time ago. I mean a God who also heals today. Because it's the same God. It's the same God. The, Bible, the God of the Bible is the same God that we worship today. The same God that we pray to. And I love these testimonies that we've been sharing. Uh, because, you see, all of us, we have some scars, you see that, that the healing that Brad has experienced is oftentimes it's happened over time. Uh, there's, there's been pain. There's been difficulty. But God has always been faithful. God saved his life, and God is, is using him in such powerful ways. And God wants to do that in your life as well. God wants to touch you. He wants to bring healing in your life. And he wants to use your scars because every scar tells a story. It tells a story of God's faithfulness, a story of how God brought us through times that were difficult and how God worked in mighty ways as a result. We're going to continue that series today called Scars, and today I'm going to tell you a story, uh, and it's a really wild story. I think it's actually the first time I've ever preached this story, and it is, it's kind of crazy. There's times in this story where I'm like, I would like more detail, please. And the author's just like, nope, we're going to keep telling the story. This is just how it is, okay? So sometimes this story, it, it brings about more questions than what it answers. Uh, but that's okay because I think that in this story that we're going to see that we serve a God who is so faithful, a God who is always with us, even in times where we mess some stuff up. So this guy, his, his name was Jacob. And Jacob is one, uh, you might remember that name, uh, God is often referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? So he's a big deal, okay? He's the grandson of Abraham. He's somebody on whom God is going to build uh, his, his people. In fact, his name today in this story is going to get changed to Israel. And you might remember the people of God are called the children of Israel, okay? So this is the guy that we're talking about. Jacob, though, he has an interesting uh, background. He, he oftentimes messed a lot of things up. He was a schemer. He was a deceiver. He was someone whose life oftentimes didn't line up with what you'd expect out of somebody who God had done such great things through. And when we look at some of these families in the Old Testament, what we see is that our family, you know, their, their families are pretty messed up sometimes. And Jacob's family, it was kind of messed up. So if you're here today, I know we've got a lot of kids and teens here today, or you're here at home with your family. Uh, if you feel like your family has challenges, just read the Bible, and you'll find out you're very normal, okay? Because there's plenty of family challenges in the Bible. When Jacob was born, he was a twin, and his older brother Esau was going to be born first, okay? And there was, that was a big deal to them because in their society, uh, everybody who was not the firstborn son got a whole lot less inheritance than the firstborn son. How many are firstborn sons in the room? Yeah, you think this is a great idea, right? Everybody else thinks that's not fair, right? All the others, please say with me, that's not fair. That's not fair, right? It's not fair. It doesn't seem right, but it's how they did it. It kind of helped perpetuate the family estate. It's just how things worked back then, okay? So Esau is born first, and Jacob is born, get this, grabbing his brother's heel. <laughs> He's like trying to pull him back, right? Like, no, you won't be first. Yes, I will. No, I won't. So kids, if you've ever argued with your brother and sister, you are very much like Jacob and Esau in certain ways, okay? Because these guys were like, they were fighting before they even got out of the womb, okay? 
And so Esau is born first. Jacob gets this name, uh, deceiver, it means, or it also can be interpreted heel grabber, which is a very strange thing. But they would name kids in this way. They would na- give them names that were meaningful, that they, it wasn't just a name that your parents liked. It was something that had meaning and significance, okay? So Jacob is, is born this way, but it doesn't end with his birth. It actually just begins with his birth. So uh, the firstborn son would get uh, the the birthright, the inheritance, but he would, and so Jacob was upset about this. So one day Esau has been out hunting. This is many years later, and Esau has been out hunting. He comes home and he's famished. He's so hungry, and he's like, "Man, I would give anything just for some food right now." Well, Jacob had been at home. He'd been cooking up some his, some of his brother's very favorite stew, and he's like, "Hey, I've got this great stew that I made for you, uh, Esau. There's just one thing. I'm going to need you to sign this little paper first. What's that paper? Oh, it just signs your birthright away to me, right? You get the stew, I get the birthright. No big deal, right? <laughs> that is a big deal. But his brother's like, "Look, I am so hungry. I'm going to die. Has anybody made a bad choice when they were hungry before? Yeah." Esau understands how you feel, right? He's like, I'm going to die, so whatever. I'll sign your stupid paper. I just got to eat or else I'm going to die here. So he signs away his birthright. That was the first thing that the firstborns got. Firstborns also got a special blessing from their father, that when the father would be getting close to the end of his life, he'd bring his kids in and he would bless them all, but he blessed the firstborn in a very special way, right? So Jacob is not happy that he only has the birthright, he wants the blessing too. So when, when his father is getting older, Jacob dresses up like Esau. He puts on Esau's clothes, so he smells like Esau, this hunter, right? And he comes in, and, and there his father Isaac, is, who can't see anymore, and Isaac is like, is, is that my son Esau? He's like, yep, it's me. It's really not. It's Jacob. And he lies, and, and so his father blesses him instead of Esau. So now he's stolen both the birthright and the blessing. If you were Esau, how would you feel? Not good, right? He was angry. Esau comes in, and he decides he is going to kill his brother Jacob. That's how mad he is. I know we got a lot of kids and teens with you. I need your help right now. I need you to raise your right hand with me. Okay, do it. Raise your right hand. Repeat after me. I will not kill my brother or sister as a result of today's sermon. Thank you. You can put your hand down. That is legally binding, by the way, okay? It wasn't a good idea, but it was Esau's idea, okay? He wanted to do this. So Jacob is scheming. He and his mom work out a plan. He's going to leave. He's going to move away to his Uncle Laban's house. And there at Uncle Laban's house, he spends 20 years, okay? So he settles down. He works for Uncle Laban. He's going to become incredibly rich doing this, okay? He's going to get, like, he's going to leave here someday with, like, thousands and thousands of farm animals. He's going to become a very powerful guy here. And while he's at Uncle Laban's house, he marries not one but two of Uncle Laban's daughters. Now, I know that Jerry Springer passed this week, but, but stay with me. These are his cousins, right? It's kind of the stuff used to go on the show, right? Like, we don't like that, okay? We don't marry our cousins. So, again, raise your right hand, please, young people. I will not marry my cousin as a result of today's sermon. All right, thank you. I feel better now. Okay, so we, the Bible doesn't support everything it reports, right? Things were different then, but he marries his cousins. 
He lives with Uncle Laban. Things, uh, they often don't go well because they're both scheming against each other. Jacob keeps scheming. Laban keeps scheming. Oftentimes, Jacob's at the losing ends of these schemes, but it is what it is. And so Jacob finally gets mad. He gets frustrated, and he decides he's going to move out. So he takes him, his family, his wealth, uh, which means Laban's daughters and grandkids, all this stuff, and he leaves, and they don't even say goodbye to to Grandpa Laban. Like, that's not going to go over well, right? So Grandpa Laban's mad, like, hey, you can't take my grandkids and just leave. So he chases them down and catches up with them, and they talk, and they basically make a covenant to not hurt each other. It's not really close family ties, but it is what it is there. So then Jacob keeps going on this journey. Because he senses that God is calling him to something new. He's calling him to a new place. God has promised that he's going to bless this family so richly. And so he, he keeps on going, and, and he encounters, the Bible says, this, like, camp of angels there. And, and I want to know, like, why are angels camping? Why are they there? What are they doing, right? doesn't tell us. It's just there's the angels. He's with them. It's a sign that God is blessing him, that God is with him, that God is walking with Jacob, that God's got him, right? So then he continues on, and he gets into some dangerous territory. Because now this journey is taking him close to the place where Esau lives. Remember 20 years earlier, Esau's got a plan. That plan killed Jacob, right? What if that's still the plan? This could be a problem. But now Jacob is pretty big and mighty and all this stuff. So he decides to send this group of of messengers ahead. Like, let's send some people ahead and let's kind of go, you know, check things out and, and, and see how Esau's doing, right? And so the Bible tells us here in Genesis chapter 32 about these messengers. Um, it says, after delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, we met your brother Esau, he's already on his way to meet you with 400 men. Now that's not a good sign, right? <laughs> if, if you just want to like, hug it out with your brother. You don't need 400 armed men there with you, you know. So Esau also has become very powerful. Jacob is not the only one in this situation. Esau has become a very powerful person in his own right. So Jacob is in big trouble. Esau is coming and he's ready to fight. He still hasn't buried the hatchet, apparently. So the story continues that Jacob, he prays first. He seeks the Lord. He knows that he's in trouble, and he cries out, says, God, you promised you'd bless me. You promised all these things. I need you. I'm in trouble. My brother's mad. I need your help. He prays, and he also plans. No big surprise. He's the schemer, right? But he plans. And, and this is not really a bad thing. You know, oftentimes in life, we're called to pray and to plan, right? Like Brad's story, right? We pray for healing, but we also go see the doctor and we take medicines, right? Because God works through natural and supernatural ways. He's God. He can work any way that he wants, right? And so Jacob prays and he plans. And so Jacob has to make this plan because you don't have, like, insurance in those days. So Jacob does basically like what is an ancient form of an insurance policy here. Uh, he divides his, his uh, group up into two different groups, right? Um, it's, and uh, he separates them. It says he divided his household along with his flocks and his herds and camels into two groups. Uh, he, excuse me, uh, he thought if, if Esau meets me in, meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. Okay, so Esau is, or Jacob plans here, and he says, hey, I'm going to divide my estate in half here. That way, at least half of it's insured. Maybe he'll only get half of everything that I own. 
So he's, he's, really, he's really scared by this. And, he, and now it's coming to nighttime, and he's not sleeping well. Okay? He's not going to sleep. What he's doing is he's up with his family and his stuff. They have a lot of stuff. And they've already, they get to this river crossing, and they've already sent some of their stuff over the river, most of it, in fact. But Jacob's immediate family is still there on the other side. And so in, in the middle of the night, verse 22 says this. During the night, Jacob got up, and he took his two wives, his servant wives, that's a whole other story, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the Jabbok River with them. After crossing to the other side, he, took, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. Okay, so time out here. We have all the stuff has gone over. They do it at night. That makes no sense, okay? It's not easy to cross a river with all your stuff at night when there's no streetlights, right? Okay, so this was a challenge. It seems Jacob is stressed, and he's not necessarily thinking clearly. Okay, he's scared. He knows he's in trouble. Esau is coming for him, so he sends his family on over. But then he himself comes back all by himself. Why? I don't know why. He just does so. Maybe he's nervous and he wants some time alone. Then this man comes up, and they wrestle. Now, this is weird, right? Have you ever been out for a walk at night, and you meet a guy, and you just wrestle all night long? All the time, right? Exactly. Then you understand how Jacob is, right? Okay, so he wrestles with this guy, right, uh, Verse twenty, as, until dawn began to break. When the man saw that he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. The man said, let me go, for dawn is breaking. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He's got this thing with blessing, right? Like, whether he deserves it or not, he wants to be blessed. What's your name, the man asked. Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, for you have fought with God and men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob asked, or Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man said. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God, for he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. So Jacob encounters this man. They wrestle all night long, and Jacob is, is winning, right? He's, he's ahead in this, but it seems they're in kind of a stalemate. Dawn is starting to break, and for whatever reason, this, this man wants to get away before the daylight comes. He doesn't want to be seen. And so, so he touches Jacob's hip. Note that he just touched it, right? He didn't like, it doesn't say that he did this like amazing WWE like hip socket removal thing, right? No. He just touches him, which really adds some more questions to the story, right? Like, well, okay, if you had that move all along, then how was Jacob ever beating you, right? Right? <laughs> If you can just, like, touch joints and make them go out of joint, you can win any wrestling match like that, right? So it's almost like the guy is wrestling with Jacob, and Jacob is, is kind of dominating, but 
because the guy's kind of letting this happen, right? Because he's clearly got some supernatural stuff about him. So he just touches Jacob's hip. It goes out of socket. Ouch. Jacob knows this. And he realizes something is going on with this guy, right? Like, we, it's a strange encounter. We've wrestled all night. Now he just made my hip go out just by touching it. And he asks the man to bless him. Also an odd thing to ask is somebody you've been fighting with all night, right? But he asked the man to bless him, and then the man asked him his name. Now remember, names had meaning in biblical times, okay? And so whenever Jacob would identify himself, he was identifying himself as this deceiver or schemer. It was a really unfortunate name to have in that sense, but he had made really a a livelihood of succeeding with that kind of stuff. He could, he could do that stuff quite well. And so Jacob identifies him in himself in this way, and maybe you know what it's like to, to have a name, maybe not your literal name, but to have things about you that people view negatively. Maybe it's a, a, a reputation that you have that you got... Maybe it wasn't even fair that you got this reputation. Maybe, maybe some, some bully at school called you something, and, and now people call you this. Or, or, or maybe it was somebody early on in life. Maybe it was a parent or somebody or a teacher or a coach or somebody who just, they said some stuff that wasn't kind, and it hurt. And, and you've kind of taken this on as like, this is who I am. It's not just something that was said about me. It's who I am. It's how I am defined. I'll never be any better than this. I'll never be any more than this. And you kind of look down at yourself because that's always, it seems, that's always just how life's going to be. It's a kind of scar, really. It's not a like physical scar, but it's a, a heart scar. And the fact is, everybody in this room has some heart scars. Everybody here has some hurts, some pains, some of which maybe we've experienced healing from, some of which maybe we, we haven't, some of which maybe we're in, in process on. But in this story, God wants to address this scar in Jacob's life. And so the man he renames Jacob. He says, well, you're not going to be Jacob anymore. Now you're going to be Israel. And the name Israel means literally God fights. God fights. Isn't that interesting? There's a couple ways you could look at it. On the one hand, it's like Jacob, God fights, right? You're now Israel. You have fought with God all night. You have kind of held your own in some ways. You have contended with God and man, right? You've been victorious in many ways. That's what the man says, right? So it's an encouragement to him. You're a force to be reckoned with, buddy. You're not just a schemer. You're not just a deceiver. You are a force to be reckoned with, Jacob. This is, this is who you are. So imagine how differently he goes into this, this meetup with Esau the next day. Instead of going in in great fear and terror, fearing that Esau is going to take him, now he's got some confidence because God is with him. He's been able to contend with God. Surely he can contend with Esau. It's kind of a, a prophetic word into what's going to happen here in this meeting with Esau because, spoiler alert, it's going to go fine. 
Okay, Esau is going to forgive him. Uh, they're going to make peace with each other, and, and things are going to be okay. Esau is not going to destroy him. But it's also a prophetic word about God's people, the nation of Israel. For this is a nation for whom, well, sometimes they're going to wrestle with God. Sometimes they're going to screw things up. But for these people, God is going to fight. Oh, yes, he's definitely going to fight. There's going to be a time where God leads them out of Egypt, and they're at the Red Sea, and they think they're going to be destroyed by Pharaoh's army. But nope, God fights. He comes and he collapses the sea on Pharaoh's army, and he defeats the army. There's going to be another time where they go in, uh, they're taking the promised land, and they go to this mighty city named Jericho, and all they do is march around it a bunch of times, and the walls cave in. Why? Because God fights, right? There's going to be time after time. One time Joshua is going to be leading the army in battle, and they're going to be running out of time. It's going to get dark, before, and they're not going to be able to be victorious. So God just makes the sun stand still. God fights. He's on their side. He's, he's for them. They see this in very, very tangible ways. God fights for you as well. God is there for you as well. God knows your hurt. He knows your scar. God loves you and he cares about you. And he wants to help you through. You see, this encounter that Jacob had with this mysterious man we see it's not really a man at all. And scholars argue, was it an angel or was it the angel of the Lord, which is like an Old Testament uh, pre-incarnation version of Jesus? I tend to think it's that. Uh, but it's some type of, of godly representative here, right, who has the authority to speak on God's behalf, who renames him, who says, nope, this is who you are now, Jacob. This is who you are. But notice, it doesn't come without a cost. It doesn't come without a cost. For Jacob, well, he's limping now. He limps away from this wrestling match. And many scholars think that Jacob limped the rest of his life. Uh, there's other stories of him in his old age, and it refers to Jacob very specifically as leaning on his staff. It points that out, and we think that might be to remind us he's still limping. He's still got a reminder. So why? Why does God leave him with that limp? Well, here's a man who spent his whole life so far walking in some arrogance. I'll do it my way. I'll take my brother's stuff. I'll try to rip off my uncle. I'll do whatever it takes to build me up, right? And God's going to say, no, Jacob, you need to walk in humility. It's not all about you. Every time you take a step, you're going to be reminded that I'm God, you're not. You're going to be reminded that you're going to walk my way, that you're going to walk in my will, that, that I'm for you, that I'm going to bless you, all these kinds of things, but I'm God and you're not. For some of us, we've got scars that are a little like that. Maybe we've done stuff that has, it's caused a lot of problems for us and others, and, and sin does that. Sin tends to leave scars and maybe you've got some scars in your life. Maybe, you know, maybe you've got a court date coming up because of some stuff you did. Or maybe you've got uh, some, some addiction that you're battling, right, because you were messing with the wrong stuff. Or maybe you've got some broken uh, relationships in your life because you, you were kind of prideful and selfish or whatever it may be. Or maybe there's, uh, there's um, some things in your credit score because you weren't disciplined with money. Or maybe there's, you know what I'm talking about. 
And on the one hand, we could look at those things and we could hang our head and we could be ashamed. Yeah, I screw up a lot of stuff. I'm not, I'm not that good. But that's not the point. That's not how God looks at you at all. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he took your shame. He took your sin. He took your screw-ups, all that stuff, and he paid the price. He paid the price. So even if you've got a scar that reminds you, God is helping you to move through this. So, so what, do we, what do we do with our scars? What do we do with our scars? Well, let me give you three things that we can do as a result of these scars. The very first thing that we do is that we forgive ourselves, right? Excuse me. Um, yeah, we thank God. Sorry, I got him out of order. We thank God. And it might sound odd to thank God for a scar, right? We thank God because God's been faithful. Our scars are a reminder that God is always with us. Even when you were doing your own thing, God is there. And God has changed you. What if God would have never touched your life? What if he would have just left you in that place where you were at? What if he would have just left you in that sin, in that hurt, in that brokenness? Thanks, God, for pulling me out. Even if I got some scars, I'm, I'm going to be thankful that you did that. Second, we forgive ourselves because God forgave you. So, friend, if God forgave you, who are you to not forgive you? Do you know more than God? I mean, really, we, we hold on to this. We beat ourselves up. We tell ourselves how bad we are. We repeat the lies that people told to us for years and years and years. And that is not God's will. God didn't say that about you. That's somebody else. When God looks at you, he sees his beloved daughter or son. He sees someone who he loves so much, he would give his own life for you. He sees someone he cares about more than you could possibly imagine, and he has forgiven you. Yeah, there may be some scars, but that doesn't mean unforgiveness. Those scars remind us uh, of God's faithfulness. And third, tell your story. Share your stories with others. For your story, it may just be exactly what somebody else needs to hear to deal with their own scars or to deal with their own struggles. Or maybe they're in that same place of pain where you are at and they feel like there's just no hope. Let your story be something that the Holy Spirit uses to bring hope. One more thing. I want to speak to those who maybe today you really, you really feel it when I tell that part about Jacob wrestling. And you're like, yeah, that's me and God right now. We're wrestling. And I've, I've been sensing, maybe it's, I'm sensing God guiding me to something, and I'm not sure I want to do it. I'm not sure I've got the faith, the strength to do it. Or maybe it's just like you're, you're seeking God and you're, you're asking for something and you're praying and you're, and you're like, yeah, man, I'm just so tired. I just want to give up. I just want to push this away. I, I'm done seeking God. I'm tired of this. It just, it's not working. Wherever you're at in that, friend, please don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up on God. Don't stop wrestling. Don't stop praying. Don't stop reading the word. Don't stop worshiping God. Don't stop coming, whether it's the youth group or children's ministry or your community group, your life group, whatever it is. Don't stop. 
because God loves you so much. God is reaching out to you. God is drawing you, and it may be a journey. It may take some time. There may be some pain, but please don't tap out. Don't tap out because God's not done with you. He's just getting started. This is a God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the one who walks with them through their mistakes, through their screw-ups, all this stuff, and he is faithful. And let me tell you, friend, he'll be faithful to you too. He'll be faithful to you too. So God, here we are. We do some scheming on our own. If we're honest for all of us, there's stuff we're not proud of. There's times that we've walked our own way. There's times we've let you down and others down. There's times we've been hurt by others so deeply, and then we kind of wear that as our identity. God, we need your healing touch. Please, won't you come and touch us right now? I pray for every hurting heart in this room. Lord, I pray for every child who's struggling with somebody at school. Help them to see hope, Lord. Help them to see how much you love them and how good you are, God. Help them to see how much you think of them, even when others are difficult. I pray for every teen, Lord. There are so many things. It's such a difficult world to be a teenager in right now. And, Lord, I just pray for strength, that they would have the strength, Lord, to continue to wrestle to continue to seek you, to continue to find you, God. Lord, I just pray for courage. I pray for strength. I pray for your blessing and your power to work in their lives. I pray for every adult, Lord. Some of us, we've got really good at just walking our own way and kind of ignoring you. Lord, would you just break our heart today? Help us to see our need for you. Help us to see how foolish it is to walk in arrogance, but instead to be willing to walk in your truth, to surrender our will to you. Lord, won't you touch and heal? If you can heal Brad, you can heal us. I just pray for a mighty move of your spirit in our lives, in our families, in our homes. Lord, we don't want to hold on to our schemes anymore. We don't want to hold on to our sins anymore. We don't want to hold on to that stuff anymore. We want to hold on to our Savior because you're so good, Jesus. Lord, we love you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.